You're listening to the God Stories Radio Podcast with Fritz, Mike, and Tina, bringing hope, comfort, and encouragement through the power of the Christian testimony. Listen live on the Mixler app and follow us on your favorite platform, including iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Radio.com. Stay connected with us on Facebook and Twitter at God Stories Radio. Stories Radio. This is session 248. I'm Fritz. I'm Mike. And I'm Tina. What's going on? It's Thursday going on. Thursday night. Thursday night. You got right. it right, too. You got Under, the number right. Huh? You got the number right. Right off. First thing, huh? <laughs> Impressive. You know what? It always pays off to rehearse. <laughs> I stood in front of the mirror and rehearsed that. This is session 248. <laughs> and I got it right. Doggone it. He, he did. did. Yeah, I did. What's going on over there, Mikey? Uh, it's Thursday night. Well, that it is. Yes, it is. Um, you know, just um, had a little bit of uh, truck uh, situations, uh, actually, since I had it. Yeah. It, it had uh, AC. It was blowing. It sounded like it would blow you right out of the truck, but I guess the gates that opened so it would take it through all the channels in the truck mm-hmm. were locked. Some kind of actuator or something yeah. like a... Yeah, so finally... I had it looked at, and finally it went in and got fixed today. Nice. Oh, uh, that's fantastic. Hey, now the I got good news air is it's blowing. fixed. Right, and it's got. I have air now blowing to me. Oh, wonderful. Perfect. And you Perfect won't fall for asleep. summer in Florida. I yeah. know. <laughs> and got hot yet. <laughs> it's gonna. It's, it's gonna. It's about to. I don't know. It seems pretty hot to me, but. Really? Yeah. You thrive, though, in the heat. I do. I do. Not me, man. I am a tropical girl. (laughs) I like tropical weather. (laughs) I do not do cold. No, you do not. No, no cold for you. No. What's going on over there? Oh, you know, just painting away as usual. Well, that's kind of nice to say. Well, sure it is. Painting away as usual. (laughs) nice thing to be able to paint it is i think a lot of people did that during this time yeah people have taken up their hobbies again and it's it's been really nice it's just been a time of like resting and reflection and getting more into the word and just having time to decompress and can you reflect and rest um yes oh i can usually but, you know, I my house has never looked. I guess we're wired different. The house has never looked cleaner. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> I've never had better cooking in my life. <laughs> Cooking's been off the handle. 
And then we've gotten three rooms painted so far. I know, right? Ridiculous. Yeah. All those things you got on the list, if I only had time. Right, exactly. (laughs) I think I I I even noticed the mailbox was painted. (laughs) (laughs) How about that, Mikey? Now it's, uh, I, I don't know, sure what that is. Is that gold or bronze? What is that? It looks it's like, like gold. a copper. Yeah. Oh, yeah. copper, of course. It's I'm, copper. I would yeah. have stated everything but that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, watch <laughs> out, world. I'm painting everything in sight. Uh-huh. <laughs> Look for the house with a copper mailbox. Right. That's us. Yeah. God Stories Radio. <laughs> Acrylic uh, pour coming soon. Yeah. <laughs> The, the way Oliver pees on the uh, mailbox there, we're going to end up having to paint the post. <laughs> you don't want to take his only of joy funky, away from him. I know. I don't want to steal the dog's joy. And from what I understand, you uh, bumped into one of our uh, listeners this week. Yes, sir. I did. And uh, Mr. Robert Herman, one of faithful fan and, and a supporter, and he prays for us and loves us. And the company that I went with to replace our camera system in the sanctuary was the company that he works for soundstage. And I'll plug him. If you need anything, AV video, audio, these guys are unbelievable. So it's soundstage, Robert Herman. Of course, I don't think, I don't think Robert's uh, in sales though. I think he's a supervisor of sorts. That'd be James Nunn. Yeah. Contact James at soundstage. But anyway, all that to say that um, Greg was the install lead. Right. And he said, I needed to call my supervisor or something like that, uh, Robert. And I, and I said, Robert who? He says, Robert Herman. I said, what? <laughs> he said, Robert Herman. And I said, I think I know him. Ask him if he listens to a podcast called God Stories Radio and if he just got married. It, it, he started laughing. So I knew it was him. <laughs> So, Robert, I know you're listening, man. Welcome. Welcome, everybody on Mixler. We've got a, a really good uh, crowd tonight. I see Rex Hughes on there. Whoa. Oh, wow. Whoa. Hey, Rex, Rex Hughes. Hey, yeah. Rex. Thanks for following us on uh, Mixler. If you sign up and uh, follow us, I can tell who you are. And I see a couple other people on there, but I can't see your name. But if you follow us, I can. But welcome. You've dialed into a good one. This is a special one uh, Especially for me tonight. So, well, who do we have in the studio? Likes, dislikes, complaints, anything? Nothing. No. All right. Okay. Well, moving on. In the studio tonight, believe it or not, is my daughter, Aubrey Fate. Hi. (laughs) Hello. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. (laughs) And this is very, very special to all of us, really, because she just got out of the hospital, I think, yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. Mm-hmm. And they really couldn't figure out what's wrong with her. So we... That's the second time in a we row. We broke her out. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just think the Lord takes control, man. There's so many people praying for her. And I'm not going to steal her thunder. I'm going to let her talk a little bit about her medical condition because it's so big a part of her life. And I could talk all night about it because I was the one at her bedside for 20 years. And I know a a lot about it, but I'm Mm -hmm. not going to steal that thunder. I'm going to let her talk a little bit about it. But anyway, the the miracle is that she's here tonight. 
And she's got some plans uh, moving forward to maybe leave the state of Florida and uh, pursue some new stuff. Spoiler alert. Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow. Hey, all- Dad, how about introducing the guests? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> I thought this was my show. <laughs> Guess not. <Yeah. laughs> hey, no problem. I think the last time she was on was session two. Yeah. Was It was. It's been a while. Dos. Dos. Wow. There's a lot wow. happened since then. Uh-huh. <laughs> now we're on dos 48. <laughs> and I got it right, too. Y'all laughed. Uh-huh. I rehearsed. I rehearsed. <laughs> so anyway, please welcome to the show my daughter, Aubrey Faith. Hi, Yay. guys. All Hello. right. Um, hi. So I'm Aubrey Faith. <laughs> Did, I'm sorry. That was the coolest little audio clip I have ever heard. I've never gotten an applause for saying my name. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, there it is. Okay. I like that. It's better than this one. <laughs> yeah, that one's... I like the audio of the clapping much better. Um, gosh, to where to start for my story? Um, well, some things have already been revealed a little bit, but to, to get there, I, I really have to go back in time. And um, a lot of people want to start their story when they were kids and, and about the time that they were, you know, 10. But for me, my story started way before that. My story started before I even started making memories. Um, when I was nine months old, I was diagnosed with atypical hemolytic uremic syndrome. Um, at the time, say that fast. Yeah, really. Times. I was just going to say that. <laughs> All right. Atypical hemolytic uremic syndrome. Atypical. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I was diagnosed with that, and there are only, at the time, there were only two people in the country that were diagnosed with this disease, and I happened to be one of them, and I happened to be even more rare because it was atypical, which means um, they found out something that was just not quite right about it, and and we'll get to that, but oh, I have to go in in linear or else I'm going to be all over the place, you guys. Um, So throughout my childhood, I I spent a lot of time in the hospital. I didn't spend a lot of time around other kids. Um, My immune system was so, so weak that I just couldn't, I couldn't be around normal people, um, which, you know, made me the charismatic person I am today, obviously. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know where you get that from. (laughs) Um, But I had my kidneys taken out when I was two years old. So at the time of two, I was on he, um, dialysis. I did both hemo, hemodialysis as well as peritoneal dialysis. Um, for those who don't really know the difference, um, one is done in a hospital and the other one is done at home nightly. Um, so I was doing both at the time. So I was constantly attached to machines, um, tubes coming out of everywhere. You, you name it, I had it. Um, and during that time, I was also staying with my aunt, my uncle. So my aunt, my uncle had a lot of free reign. They had my guardianship because of my health issues and things that were going on in personal life. Um, You know, my parents were separating and my brother was in Pennsylvania with my mom. And so they had my guardianship and a lot of that was interesting for me. Um, I was raised in the church. I was raised as someone who naturally had a a conscious contact with God, as you can say. Um, and so I relied really heavily on that foundation, on that relationship um, going through my life and trying to understand God and trying to figure out who he was to me. And it was very 
difficult as a kid because you have everybody's opinion coming at you. You have everybody's idea of God and you have, we had to go through multiple different churches for moving because I had to move so much for my my health and getting um, to different locations like Philadelphia, um, Cresco, PA, Lake City, Florida. I had all these different locations with different churches. Um, so it was a very, very difficult task for me to wrap my head around who God was. So I got a little older and like I said, <laughs> being kind of secluded from normal life, um, I finally get my transplant in 2004. Mm-hmm. So I was yep. eight years old. Um, I'm eight years old. I get this transplant. I want to go see the world. And by the world, I mean, I want to go to school. So, <laughs> so of course, they take up this opportunity to go to school, to get to learn people, get to figure out who it was. And it was, it was good in a way that I went to a private school. Um, my dad and my stepmom at the time actually owned the school. So we were able to go um, with a, a really good tuition, I would imagine. But um, <laughs> I hope so. You might so. say that. <laughs> I hope so, because I don't want to be, oh, I was a private school student. You know, we always, da, 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 da. but, <laughs> but um, it was interesting because even in that time, I was struggling to figure out who God was. And again, they, they want to teach you in private school who who God is. And they teach you all the Bible verses and they teach you how um, an adjective lines up with Moses and <laughs> all these crazy things, you know? And during this time, I was actually, um, on my personal life, I was living with my dad and my stepmom at this time. So I would go to school. I would learn about God. I would learn how the happy family is supposed to look. And then I would come home and I would hate it. I came home to this house of depression and misery. And I was so sick still, even with my transplant, I was still really, really sick as a kid. Um, you know, I was always getting infections and I was always having, um, like heart issues, like in my chest, it wasn't my heart itself, but there were chest issues going on, just a lot of pain. Um, and, and to some extent I was still on dialysis. Like I had to do dialysis halfway through my my transplant, but I digress. Um, Mm. So I would go to this school where everybody's teaching love and happiness and joy. And I would come home to this environment where I wasn't good enough and I wasn't enough of anything. I was a straight A student. I was making straight A's. I would come home and I would clean my room and it wasn't enough. I didn't look a certain way. I didn't act a certain way. Um, and I was always in competition with my stepbrother who was the the picture of perfection. He was blonde and he was skinny and he was fit. And he he looked exactly like this person you would pull out of a magazine and say, this mm-hmm. is my kid. And I was not. I, I, was, I had so many fluids on me. I had scars. I have scars everywhere. Um, and I'm, I'm proud of my scars today. But back then... I had a stepmother who told me no one is going to love you because you're a fat and mm. you have scars. Mm. And I had this constant urge to try and please her, to try and please this woman so that one, it kept stability in the home as much as it possibly could. But two, it kept her and my dad from fighting. And mm. more than anything, I did not want to be the cause of a fight. Yeah. She bro- She spoke death into your your yeah. life, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, 
I hope that this woman is blessed. I hope that she is living a happy life, but it took me forever to get there. And I will admit to anybody, I did not want to see this woman happy. I wanted her to feel the pain that she made me feel. And I lost God in this time. I I not only lost him, I resented him. I was angry at him because I didn't understand how you could go somewhere where they preach love, joy, freedom, and then you come back to a place where there is none of that. Mm. And I didn't get it. And why was I why was I the one cursed with this health issue? Why me? So my kidney lasts for about five years, and then in 2009, it actually failed. And it went back to this full circle of, mm. what did you do? Why didn't you take care of your kidney? What is wrong with you? How could you mess this up? Like These are all things that I heard from this woman. And it was hard. It was so hard because I didn't understand what my body was doing. I didn't understand why my body was turning on itself when I get to see all these beautiful kids just running around being happy and joyous and free. And it was hard. It was really, really hard. And I got even more angry at God. And I, I was, I remember crying in my room, like, why the heck did you choose me to do this? This doesn't make any sense. I'm just a kid. So a couple years passed by of all of that happening. And I'm on dialysis and I'm going to school. I, ma- I managed to get through, um, my freshman year of high school and doing peritoneal dialysis, which is the one you do at home. And I ended up in such a state of depression and fatigue and self-hatred. And I remember going to my dad and at this time, we were not in a good place. We were, we were in a really bad place and this family was tearing apart. And I go to my dad and I said, dad, I need therapy or I need to get out of this house. And he did what he thought was best at the time. And the next day he comes to me and he says, pack a bag. You're going to your aunt and your uncle's, which is how I ended up in Claremont. I was so angry. I didn't understand why someone who was supposed to love me sent me away. And it just, it just confirmed everything I felt about God. Why would someone love me do this to me? And so I ended up in Claremont and I'm on dialysis still. So my, my, kidney, and my kidney function is zero, um, absolutely nothing working. And I end up here. And a couple months later, um, my dad comes over to Claremont with me. Um, the divorce was, was finalizing and he moved here with me. Um, so as we went through this journey together, and I have to tell a little bit of his story in order to tell my story. So I hope that's okay. But um, Go ahead. My, my dad got to a point mentally and emotionally where he was not okay. He was not taking care of himself. He was saying some pretty scary things to me. And I'm 14 at the time. So I did what I knew how to do. And I took care of him. And I would make food and then say, I'm not hungry, but if I don't, but if you don't eat it, it's going to go bad. So will you eat this so that he would eat? I would say, Hey, I really want to go for a walk, but I don't want to go alone. Will you go with me so that he would get some exercise, get out of his room? Um, 
we we even tried to get him to write a book for a while just to stimulate his mind like that's, try to get that's him. still on the air isn't it <laughs> the book oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> i still have the book we're like trying to get him to write this book to stimulate his mind and everything like like it was not for lack of trying and um it was in this time of my life that i met mikey right yeah so mhm um and so during that time i am fighting not only my personal struggles of why my health is like this, how how I'm going to get through school, how I'm going to get through life, um, trying to help my dad, trying to do all this. But I'm sitting hmm. here and I'm like, there's no God at this point. Like if, if there's a God, he doesn't know me. He doesn't love me. And that was a hard realization because not only a couple months after that, my mom passed away. And I was separated from my mom when I was three and she, I didn't get to see her until I was 14. And I saw her three times before she passed away when I was 15. And so I remember getting this news, waking up and getting off a dialysis, walking into the living room and then walking right back into my room and sobbing and wanting to scream, but no, no voice coming out. I don't know if if you guys can relate to that, but mm -hmm. like that feeling of wanting to scream, but absolutely nothing's coming out of your body. Like I didn't get it. Nothing made sense. It all just hurt. Everything hurt. Mm -hmm. um, so we ended up moving to a different place after that, a couple months later. And that's where GSR got started. Um, which is really cool. I remember the first time in our, our little kitchen with the wooden floor. So it had really bad like in reverb. The kitchen. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and I remember Mikey and, and dad sitting across from each other. And I'm just like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, oh, we're talking to people on the radio. <laughs> and they And look where it's gone now. I mean, that's amazing. Side note, like super awesome for you guys. This is wonderful. It's all father. <laughs> um, amen. But um. So at this time, I'm, I'm trying to get through school and dad and I are going back and forth to Miami and back home and to Miami and back home. And the reason for that is because they were trying to get me put on a transplant list. So I am from 2009 to 2012, I am attempting to get on a transplant list. Like I'm not on it yet. They're working on it. And the reason for this is because I was basically a guinea pig. Um, like I said, there was only two people in the world that had what I had and mine was atypical. So of course something's crazy is happening, but they found that, um, the H factor mutation, which is something that was progressing my disease quicker was actually housed in my liver. So the theory is properly working liver, properly working organs, which makes sense. And Okay. It was so. something way down in the molecular structure of it. It was H-factor mutation and F-factor mutation. And there were hematologists all over the world. Uh, we actually yeah. sent our blood, my blood, her blood, to England. Mm -hmm. And it took them a year, I think, to send wow. back the results. Yeah. yeah, it did. And that was amazing. It was like 60-page dissertation on the molecular breakdown. I mean, the whole yeah. spiral thing you see mm -hmm. and everything. and. Mm -hmm. They found out through research that the liver was what housed this F factor, yeah. H factor mutation that she was missing. Mm -hmm. And that was actually the, 
the switch that shut off the white blood cells that were attacking and killing her native organs. Mm -hmm. No, thank you for that clarification. That helps me out a lot because I was like, "Eh, I don't know the full extent, but I know most of it. (laughs) But um, so the theory was get a new liver, get proper working organs. And so in that year time frame that you were saying that they did the studies, like I was still waiting to hear back what we were doing. 2012 happens. um, And actually it wasn't until 2013, I got put on the list Mm -hmm. and I got put on the list. um, I want to say in June, June or August, June or June, July or August, one of those, because I know it was in the summer. And sure enough, December 15th, well, December 13th, of 2013, we got a call to go get a transplant. And part of that dilemma was, I'm sorry for interrupting, but they, uh, there was, you know, she had a good working liver mm-hmm. and that was part of the dilemma because right. there was a moral decision then, you know, you're going to transplant a good working liver. Mm-hmm. So we had, you know, tons of red tape, a couple of years worth of red tape to get through on that one. Right. Right. And very long story short, uh, an older gentleman got her liver and then she got the liver. So, yeah. So I get the call for the transplant. Um, and on, in, on the 13th and then on the 15th, I get my kidney. They keep processing dialysis, um, in order to make sure everything is clean and clear. And then on the 16th, I receive my liver and a couple of days later I'm waking up and that was terrifying. Might I add, because they put me in a coma for like five days just Ooh. to, because I couldn't eat or drink anything because um, they didn't know when the organs were arriving. So they put me in a medically induced coma for like five days. And next thing I know, I'm waking up and they're pulling off the oxygen mask and I'm like panicking. And it was like, it's, it's funny to look back on because you realize how like calm it was and everything was okay. But I was like, in the moment I was panicking and like, where's my dad? Where's my dad? Like, where am I? Um, (laughs) I can only imagine. Gosh. But, Mm -hmm. but it all worked out. Um, and it was really cool because we we had this uh, pilot who actually picked up his from his Christmas party. His name was Brad Pierce. And he picked mm-hmm. up from his Christmas party, came and got us at the closest um, independent airport and took us to Miami. And it was all a God thing, really. Yeah, absolutely. Because I understand he also, with his type of license or plane or whatever, or the airport or whatever, he was the only one in, that was not only available to say yes but he was also the one that could go into Miami, mm-hmm. if I got that right. Yeah, he was the last one on the list to call um, from Angel Flight. And he was at a Christmas party with his family. And right. he got a call and said, hey, Brad, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm at a Christmas party. He said, you want to save a life tonight? And that's all he had to hear. He told his, kissed his wife and <laughs> headed to the airport, <laughs> called everybody, had the plane pulled out, fueled up. Mm-hmm. By the time we got there, we were ready to rock and roll. And mm-hmm. yeah, we, we were was, in Miami within the hour. I mean. It was really red carpet rollout. Like it was insane because it all happened so fast. I remember mm-hmm. having to call my dialysis center and being like, hey, I'm not going to be there tomorrow. Like, sorry. And they're like, why not? And I'm like, oh, you know, getting a transplant, casual, every just typical Tuesday mm-hmm. thing. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was just phenomenal how it all worked out. And 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 for me, even those five days, they went by in the blink of an eye because I was sleeping the whole time. But waking up and getting to do this whole process of establishing who I am again, establishing like, oh, I have a life to live now. What am I going to do with it? 
Um, what, what, what do I do with all this time that's been giving to me? And believe it or not, God did not cross my path. I said he did. I had this, this big thing about how, you know, this, this had to be a God thing. But in my heart, in who I was, I just didn't get it. I had so much happen to me that mm. no, I didn't think that something was happening for me because of God. So, Oh, but it did. Oh, it did. <laughs> I know that now. But um, back then, like I, I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that this, there was all being God would mm-hmm. do this for me. Like, why would he do this now? What's the point? And so I go out my way and, and I go back to school, which is really, really cool. I got to use my senior year and I got to go to prom and I got to do all the things. And um, Brad Pierce was invited to the wedding that for dad and Tina and um, got to see him again. And it was around this time where I actually started um, my addiction. And this is going to be hard to tell because this is my first time telling it <laughs> in like front of people. But um, I was an alcoholic and addict. Um, and so I didn't know it. It didn't make any sense to me. And I was I was living my life and I was I thought I could drink like everybody else. I thought <laughs> I could do what everybody else does. And that made sense to me. Why couldn't I? I had fresh organs. So why couldn't I do that? You know? And and I would always tell people, well, I've had a liver transplant, so I take it easy. But but was I? Like, I wasn't. Just plain fact. And so I go through my life and I, and I am doing this maybe once a week. And then it turns into every couple of weeks. And Finally, I got to the point where I was I was living my life and I was with friends and I just started sobbing one night. And my friend comes to me and he goes, what's going on? And I'm sobbing and I can't get through the words, I don't want to live anymore. I couldn't get it out. I, cu- I could not, like I, I remember like writing on a piece of paper and then finally reading it to him like, I don't want to live anymore. I'm using substances to dull the pain. I'm using whatever I can. I'm, I hate my job. I hate my life. I, and there wasn't anything wrong with my job. There wasn't anything wrong with my life. Like I was living the dream. I was living. I was alive. Mm-hmm. Like how I had my own apartment. I, I was going to a full-time job with benefits. I had friends in my corner. Like I had... My dad, I had Tina in my corner and I didn't care. I didn't want it. And I started finding problems in everybody else. Everybody else, there was something wrong with them, but there was nothing wrong with me. Because why would there be? I'm perfect. I'm the perfect transplant patient. I do everything right. There's nothing wrong with me. It's everybody else. And so... I started more so it was in 20, it was this last year that we just had um, that my addiction started getting really bad and my drinking started getting really bad and I was drinking almost every night and I was smoking almost every night and I had friends that I did this with and nobody questioned it. I had quote unquote friends who 
you know, provided this stuff. Like I didn't have to drop a dime on it. They would provide it for me. And like, it was just, it was just normal. This was my normal life. This is what I did. And so I'm going through these days and I'm, I'm having panic attacks and I'm having depression episodes and I'm, I'm crying at work while I'm sitting there doing my job and I have to look at my employee and I go, my, my coworker, and I look at them and I go, how on, on a scale of one to 10, how sad do I look? And their response is, you look pretty sad. And I run to the bathroom and I cry because how else do you respond to that? So I go through this process of trying to work out my addiction and try to figure out what it is. And I actually ended up in the hospital. Um, I ended up in the hospital with a complicated UTI, which for someone with a kidney and liver transplant is a can be deadly. Um, and so for me, I was in the hospital getting treatment for that. And my doctor asked me why I wasn't taking my anti-rejection medicine. So for those of you that don't know, like your anti-rejection medicine is a daily thing. You have to take these every day or else your organs will fail. And my doctor asked me why I wasn't taking them. And I looked at him and I was like, why do you think I'm not taking them? And he's like, well, I think that it's because you don't want to be around here. And I said, well, I think that you're pretty spot on. So I get Baker acted. And in this Baker act, it's actually really interesting because they treated the UTI, but my white blood cell count was still dropping. And I came in with it low and my white blood cell count was dropping. And for sake of easy communication, it's supposed to be at a 4.4. Um, Mine was at a 2.3 when I came in Hmm. and they put me back on my anti-rejection meds. And five days later, I dropped down to 1.9, which is neutropenic, um, which means that I am at risk for literally anything. You could have the common cold. And if you are five feet away from me Mm -hmm. and you you just breathe, I could get it. Mm -hmm. So they keep me in the hospital this extra time trying to figure out what's going on, trying to figure out why my white blood cell count is dropping, debating on giving me blood, debating on platelets, like trying to figure out what's happening and they find my spleen is enlarged. I know, right? Of of everything else, here goes my spleen. So my kidney doctor, my kidney nephrologist um, comes in and he looks at me and he goes, so you're a rare case, aren't you? And I looked at him and I go, hmm, what made you think that? And he actually sat down for me and listened to me for 10 minutes as I told my story about atypical hemolytic uremic syndrome and being in every drug trial there is, like every drug trial there was. He looks at me and he goes, well, you know, there's medicine for that. And I said, yes, sir. Who do you think tried it out first? Uh, <laughs> um, she was on the first clinical trial of CELSEP. She was the second one in mm-hmm. the world to yeah. get it. Yeah. I forget that fact all the time. Thank you for being here so that you can help me out. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm really trying to be good over here and let you tell your story. No, but you're you are, okay. You're doing very, very well. So mm-hmm. thank you. Yeah. Take it away, babe. So I am in there 11 days and finally they look at me and they're like, well, we can't really keep you anymore because we can't prove anything other than the anti-rejection meds are making your white blood cell count go down even more. So they pull me off and within two days, I'm at about a 2.5, oh. which is doable. Yeah. Like it's, it's doable to get out of the world at a 2.5. So they let me go. And let me reiterate that. They took her off the anti-rejection medication 
and she improves. Right. Which is insane that I'm yep. the only one in the world. Makes no clinical sense. <laughs> the only one in the world, according to every doctor I've talked to, that has had a transplant, let alone a double transplant, let alone a liver and kidney, which is also a rare transplant that is off of anti-rejection medicine. Mm-hmm. And I'm still sitting here thinking, who the heck is God? Well, I just was thinking that maybe you were, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to give you a a thought where you can go back to where you were, but, you know, maybe you were totally healed from his hand. I'm, I mean... It's insane. There's like, no there's, other explanation. And I'm not even done with the story yet. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> but um, so I get out of the hospital and then the next day I'm using again. I am drinking. I am smoking. I am using whatever I can to numb the pain. Now, in a large spleen, wouldn't what you were doing kind of be part of that? There's no proof of it, but there's no non-proof of it. Mm-hmm. Anti-proof. Um but they, they believe that the spleen is basically housing all of the white blood cells, which is why they're low. But it pushes white blood cells out as I need them. So that's the theory. We're sticking to it. Okay. Until proven otherwise, that's the theory. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm out and I'm using again. And I just feel like, like awful. I just feel awful. Awful, And I'm like, I went 11 days without doing this. Why am I doing this? I just got out of the hospital. Why am I doing this right now? Thank you, Holy Spirit. (laughs) Right? I think so. And so I end up going to a friend's um, event where we, I'm a huge nerd and I play Dungeons and Dragons and we're streaming Dungeons and Dragons and it's, it's really fun and I'm having a great time, but I am also high and I am drunk while doing this. And after the show, one of my friends pulls me aside and he goes, how are you doing? And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, you just got out of the hospital. How are you doing? And I started crying. I was like, I don't know. I don't feel good still. Like, I just don't feel good. Like mentally and emotionally, there is nothing going on. I am hollow and it does not matter what is happening to my liver and my kidney right now because I don't care. So my friend who comes in, who was actually, um, he was actually an addict to, to meth and he's been recovered from that. And he, he stays in recovery every day. Um, he comes to me and he goes, I think you need to go somewhere. And I'm like, well, where am I going to go? I mean, I have to go to work tomorrow. So like, that's my, that's my sick mind. I have to go to work tomorrow. So I can't go anywhere else. He goes, you're calling out of work. And I'm taking you somewhere. So they sit down with me and they go through the process of getting me admitted into a rehab where I spent two months. During that time, um, a lot of what we do is going over the basis of addiction, going over the dual diagnosis of mental health with it, and then going over the first three steps of, um, of Alcoholics Anonymous, which... I am kind of breaking a rule here, but it's my anonymity. That it is. So forgive me. (laughs) Um, It's okay, baby. uh, That's completely up to you. Mm -hmm. So I'm breaking my anonymity by saying this. Um, But the first three steps is one, we admit we are powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable. 
Two, we believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. And three, we admit to ourselves, oh, no, that's wrong. We come to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. Um, and three, we turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Mm-hmm. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous, it started, but in these politically correct ages, it uh, started out as the book of James. Yeah. And um, it was interesting because back in 1933, when Bill W. wrote the book, um, he wrote it with Dr. Bob. And it was so interesting to see how these people were affected back then, um, how these, these simple rules that we follow are supposed to help us heal. Mm-hmm. When I went into the program, I didn't understand why it was a spiritual program. I was still bitter. I was still resentful towards God. I mm-hmm. didn't get it. And I didn't understand why it was a spiritual program. And they tell me, you can make any higher power you want. You can have any higher. If you believe that the group is your higher power, that's your higher power. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense to me. Like, I was raised with a higher power. If, if I have one, it's going to be them. We'll see how this goes. So and so. So I start working my steps. And um, the first step, we admit we are powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable was pretty easy. <laughs> I mean, I ended up in rehab for two months. So it was pretty easy for me to look and be like, yeah, well, maybe my life's a little unmanageable. Cool. Two, we believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. <sighs> I don't know. I mean, I'm willing to give it a shot, but it seems like a stretch. Three, we turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. This was the one I had trouble with because it says, as we understand him. Mm -hmm. It took me months of praying, of working on myself to finally accept that there's a higher power, that there is a God, that I have a God conscience. And I felt it. I could feel it when I finally accepted it, when I finally put down the, the gauntlet and said, okay, you're real. Let's, let's call a spade a spade. You're real. There's no way I would be alive if you weren't real. There's no way. And through my steps, I, I found that the more I worked this program, the more I felt him because I had to rely on him so much. I had to rely on God to carry me. And to make me see that it's not everybody else, that it's me, mm. to make me see that I am enough, to make me see that he is real and he loves me regardless of anything else. And so through all of this, I had to write out resentments towards God. And my resentment was like two pages long, guys. I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you. It was really, really long. And then I looked at it and I was like, well, where did I play a part in this? I was selfish. I was self-seeking. I was dishonest. Like these are the things I did that pulled me away from God. He never, he never pushed me away. He never stepped back. Mm-hmm. He was there constantly through the little things even. And it was in the little things that I missed every day. I woke up 
every day, whether I was on dialysis or not, I have woken up every day of my life so far. And that's a miracle that I am 23 years old. And that is a miracle because I wasn't supposed to make it past two and then six and then eight and then 10. And I'm 23. So with that, I am six months sober today. All right. Congratulations. And I can honestly say that I know God and my higher power. Mm -hmm. And I can look at this and look at my relationships and heal those relationships because of that. Because there are people whose relationships I have been in that I have done so much wrong in. And I can never truly repent or repay for that but I'm trying every day mm-hmm. and I'm trying to be better. That. And I want, and I hope that those people know that this is not me. This is God. And that I can only do what God tells me to do every day. The next right thing, the next step, mm-hmm. the next action, the next word of what he wants me to do. Because if I don't, <laughs> I'm right back where I was hating myself, hating my life. And I'm so thankful that I am where I am today because now I have this amazing opportunity laying in front of me where I'm going to get to go to South Carolina and I am going to get to be with family and I'm going to get to be in a location with amazing medical doctors who are going to be able to help me out and help me figure out what's going on with me. And I am so grateful and so excited all at the same time because there's no, I was supposed to be in an apartment in three days and because of being in the hospital, that's all fallen through. But I'm so grateful for that. I get to like do this amazing adventure of picking up and going Mm -hmm. to South Carolina. And I already have a job lined up. Like how crazy is that? (laughs) How do you, how do you Uh tell me there's no God? Like Uh I already have a job lined up based off of a resume. Like Mm. it's phenomenal that I have these people in my life who are loving and supporting me through it all. And there is no way that that happened without a God. Absolutely not. All the little details. I think that's all I got. (laughs) I think uh, Fritz is speechless. Um, There are some tears being shed in the Uh studio. There is. (laughs) I just, I'm usually not a man without words. (laughs) <laughs> that's why I said what I said <laughs> all credit to father I mean uh-huh. you know what can you say man can't get any credit for that <laughs> no at all and a lot of it there's a lot of backstory that she didn't even get into and the fact that we're all sitting together in this room and mm-hmm. is just representative of how powerful and sovereign God really is. And prayer. Just. I can tell a joke if you need me to. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, congratulations. And uh, again, Father's taking you where he wants you to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, the apartment I'm, thing was not in the cards. And I, I truly can't wait to see what it is because. For me, it's a blank canvas and God's got to paint and Mm -hmm. you can't keep him in a frame. You know, he's going to break out the frame. So as soon as you give him a canvas, he's going to be like, I need Mm -hmm. 10 more. 
you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to be insane. <clears throat> and I think I told you something way back when, you know, you had the, uh, all the stuff that you've been through, you know, the medical stuff, you know, and everything else and what you've been through and everything else. I think I told you way back when that God's probably going to take you into something like that so mm-hmm. you can help others. I'm hoping so because my life would have no meaning if I can't help someone else with it. That's what a lot of what you went through is for. Mm-hmm. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> I can't talk. This wow. is rare. It is. Oh, hey, but <laughs> this has got to be the biggest crowd I've ever seen on Mixler. And people are are just signing up and getting accounts. And there's two people I can't see, but man, I, I want to welcome Robert Herman, uh, Rex Hughes, Marsha Hughes, Angie from Arizona. She's yep. Angie Moore from Arizona. Mr. Jay Calhoun and his lovely wife are listening. Uh, Sarah Tucker Flannery and Ray Ray all day is on <laughs> from the Battle Podcast. You got to check those guys out. The Battle Podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and two people that I can't see who you are, but welcome, welcome, welcome. And this took so much courage for her to come in and, and share this tonight. And <laughs> for me to sit and listen to it, I'm just a ball of... Uh, waterworks over here uh-huh well, your prayers have been answered and some some of the other guys that have been praying along with you amen to that mikey mm-hmm. my gosh when you see it things that you're believing for come to fruition before your very eyes mm-hmm. <laughs> you could imagine standing in front of that burning bush what that felt like <laughs> whoa mm-hmm <laughs> I feel less nervous now that it's all out, though. <laughs> I was like shaking before. I was like, I'm really nervous. Well, that's one thing I can definitely say about you, Aubrey. You're very, very courageous. You always mm, have been. That's Thank right. You. <laughs> yeah. She does have that spirit about her that's, you know, bubbly. And it's all, that's what I've known. It's what I've seen all these years. Always, always. Even, uh, even going through, like I said, the the dialysis stuff and the transplants and I remember just just a vague memory that just popped up but like when I had a birthday um, a couple years past and I didn't have any friends here yet and I was still on dialysis and everything but all the real men group men <laughs> from my dad's uh, uh, group at church like they came all and had a birthday with me and um yep. i just gotta say oh, that yeah, was one of my that. favorite birthdays honestly mm-hmm. <laughs> i remember you taking the picture of all of us at uh gators when we did the all you could eat wings and oh, you were yeah. sitting <laughs> you were sitting in the middle of all of us in that booth <laughs> and you were like you know took the selfie of us and <laughs> but it just it just popped up in my head and i was like it's amazing to me like where i was and where i am now like mm-hmm it's in the small things like it's a, like you said like god is in the small things and that was absolutely. one of them the the chat is just absolutely blowing up and Do they have it, questions i love questions well i know so many <laughs> questions is the fact that they're just saying how much uh it was an amazing testimony and how much they love you and and uh ray ray all day said uh loves you too <laughs> thank you there's ray. some love for mikey on there and uh I do take questions. Oh, I love them. Ray Ray all day says he remembered when we got the call to go to Miami. Yeah. 
That's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. So <laughs> many people that that took that journey with us. Mike made the drive. You and William. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't remember his friend's name that he brought, but I don't remember. Was either. his brother, maybe? Yeah, I think it was his brother. Was mm-hmm. his brother? Yeah, I remember his face very well, which is surprising because I don't remember a whole lot from that trip, but I do remember a lot. So That was the day that the uh, basketball player was there. Oh, yeah, I've got oh, pictures yeah. of LeBron James and all the Miami Heat. D-Wade. D-Wade. <laughs> yeah, it was an amazing... Uh, is that our dog, Hallen? It is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, my yeah. gosh. I can yeah. hear Oliver inside the house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's crying. Oh, he jo- he's just crying along with the rest of the family. Oh, yeah, right? it's, uh, it's, it's, it's only fitting no that crying, he's crying it's hot too. In here. My goodness. <laughs> I just want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight to listen to this amazing testimony. I, I am I'm overwhelmed right now with joy and mm-hmm. as you should. This be. is uh, definitely not only a dream, but it, it's a lot of prayer. Fulfilled, and there's been a lot of, lot of people responsible for praying for mm-hmm. her and for us, and mm-hmm. I just can't thank you enough. Just love each and every one of you. If you've got a testimony, please uh, contact us, GodStoriesRadio at gmail Also, if you'd like to be a guest in the studio, which would be great, it's uh, GodStoriesRadioTina at gmail We'd love to have you in the studio, but hey, if you're really uh, kind of unsure about that, it's no problem. You can write your testimony. You can still call in. We can do that too. We can Mm -hmm. do Skype. We can do Zoom. Rather not, but we can. (laughs) And uh, we just appreciate each and every one of you. You guys got anything? I'm it's just, so hard to get words out. <laughs> I'm really struggling. Uh, it is. I'm really yeah, struggling. I'm so sorry. I've got, <laughs> I'm uh I'm doing a crutch word exhibition tonight, and um, so you know, uh, uh, and yeah. that's all right. You can check us out on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spreaker, Radio.com, RadioPublic.com, iTunes, everywhere. It's just amazing that we're 248 sessions. Mm-hmm. Wow! God is amazing. Seven years. And without you guys out there, we, w- we wouldn't have made it. I'm just glad Mikey and I didn't try to quit on the same week. <laughs> the Lord wouldn't let us quit. Nope. <laughs> Thanks again, everybody that hung out with us uh, on the Mixler. We love you. We appreciate you for praying for us, everything you do for us, supporting us. Thank you so much. So that about wraps it up for session 248. I'm Fritz. I'm Mike. And I'm Tina. God bless you. God Bye. bless. Bye.